0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. So, it's a brand new year and it's a brand new series at One Church CO, and we're starting this year off with this series, Whose Church Is This? And that speaks to a level of ownership. In other words, who owns this church? Well, there's a, in popular culture, there's an expression that possession is nine-tenths of the law. And the idea behind this is that when we have custody of something, uh, the law gives more weight or you have more standing when you have custody of something than when you just claim ownership over something. And that's why possession is nine-tenths of the law. But I think this type of thinking makes it a little confusing when we're trying to answer this question, whose church is this? Because the owner has left the room. Now, he's left his spirit behind, and we're gonna talk about that in a moment, but the owner's left the room and he's given us custody of the church or a custodial responsibilities for the church. In fact, the apostle Paul says to a group of elders and elders in the Greek could also be translated pastors uh, in, in Ephesus, he gives them leadership or custodial leadership of the church uh, because he's leaving. And he, in it, he gives a bit of a job description, then he reminds them of the ownership issue. He says this, so guard yourself, and he's speaking to these elders and God's people, So one of your responsibilities as a pastor or an elder is to guard yourself as well as God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock. His church, meaning Jesus' church, purchased with his own blood. And Paul's reminding these elders, who owns the church? Oh, it's his church. How did he purchase it? With his own lifeblood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. And the idea is simply this that in the church that Jesus created and established, it's God who places leaders in place. The Holy Spirit place, places them, they have a responsibility. But we're reminded early on who is the owner? Now, if we could get this one truth kind of hammered down in our minds and hearts and and lives, because it's not just the church that we have ownership issues with. (laughs) We have ownership issues with many things, but we need to understand that we have custodial responsibilities, but not ownership rights. Let me repeat that again. You might want to say it out loud. We have custodial responsibilities, but not ownership rights. You think of all the great things that God's maybe placed in your hands. Some of you have been blessed with children. Uh, it could be money. It could be resources. It could be great intellect and success and achievements that you've, you've accomplished in this life. All of those are not yours. None of them are your, your children, not yours. Your money, not yours. Your success, not yours. Your talent, not yours. In fact, we have custodial responsibilities. And in that, it means that we're to steward your talents, your health, your children, your money, your success in a way, and this is really important, that we're to take all the things that God's placed in our lives and we're to steward them in a way that is congruent with and supportive of the owner's desire and design. You see, everything that God created, he has a desire for it and a design for it. And when he entrusts it in our lives, in our lives, whether it's our health or strength or, or privilege or whatever it might be, well, you gotta you got be, be careful to steward that really well according to his design and desires. That's what we're to do. Uh, it's like this watch I'm wearing. Uh, this belongs to one of my sons. He collects watches. He, he loves watches. He likes the mechanics of it, the engineering. kind of. There's no smart watches for him. He, he loves the analog type watch and, and the craftsmanship of it. Well, in order to wear this watch today, I ask permission. Permission reminds me of ownership. It's not my watch. I can't just take it. It's not my watch, it doesn't belong to me. And then when he said I could wear it, it came with a custodial responsibility he gave me. He said basically this, as he does every time he lends me a watch, (laughs) you break it, you fix it, right? You have a responsibility then as I entrust it to you. Now, how can he ask that of me? Well, he's the owner. See, ownership issues are at the root of many of our problems because we don't understand who owns what we have. And sometimes, if we're not careful in areas of our lives, we can sound and look a little bit like these kids. Oh, no, no, God. Yeah, Throw the fox in the trash and eat them all. No, Mom, they're not yours. Whose are they? Get right. No, they're not. No, nope. okay. Mom's she's going to the eat them. No, she's not! Give us <laughs> Don't take it! Don't take it! You might get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I love kids. I love their honesty. You might get hurt. Don't take it! Give it to me! Sometimes we get an unhealthy level of ownership. Well, Jesus stakes his claim on the church really early. In Matthew chapter 16, he's talking to the apostle Peter and he says this, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock in the Greek, and upon this rock, I will build, can you say it out loud with me? My church, my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I mean, this is a formidable community, the church, that even the gates and powers of hell could never prevail against it. Such is the body of Christ, the church. But he reminds us right from the beginning that it's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It doesn't belong to the pastors. It doesn't belong to the members. It doesn't belong to the attenders. In fact, this church belongs to Jesus. It's his church. But in the same way that he's the owner, we have custodial responsibilities. We all share in the custodial responsibilities for this church, but not the ownership rights to this church. So we remember, you know, as, a, as a pastor, as a leader in this church, I really remember my leadership is temporary. I steward it while I lead this church community, but it's not my church. Jesus has entrusted it for a season. Now, we all share in custodial responsibilities. What does that look like? Well, as a lead pastor in this church, I share the greatest responsibility for this church. Uh, The writer of uh, Hebrews puts it this way. He says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Now that's a lot to ask because we don't always agree or see eye to eye on everything. But but that's not the point because a community as diverse as ours or as the body of Christ should be where anyone can be included and be a part of it means we're going to have tons of diversity of thought and preference and, and appetites and all of that stuff. But have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So I... I bear a lot of responsibility here because someday I'll have to give an account to God how I stewarded these seasons at One Church TO. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for what would that be a benefit to you? (laughs) What good is a worn out, beat up pastor, right? So... He says, he says that I will have greater levels of responsibility for how I lead in this season than anyone else will. But I share responsibility. It's not just the lead pastor. We have an incredible staff team in this church, and they share the ministry weight with me. I'm so thankful for the, the pastors and the team at One OneChurchTO because we work so hard to craft moments and engage you and help point to Jesus. We want you to root your life in the person of Jesus, and that's our focus. We get up every day thinking about how we can do that in the city of Toronto and for the people of one church To. You. I have an incredible deacon board, and they share the fiduciary weights that with me, those responsibilities. And the fiduciary ones have to do with our our the legal responsibilities we have, the financial responsibilities. We have such a great deacon board there. We have an elders team in this church, and we're just launching a new elders council that's going to help lead them as we lead forward. But they carry the spiritual weight with the staff of the deacon board. They, they're distracted praying for this church and praying that we'll keep maturing in Jesus. We have members, and what a great group of members, almost 900 people in this church that are members and they carry an active weight. What that means is, when they sign up to be a member, they sign up to regularly give. So they they tithe of their income, a tenth of their income, they give to keep this church going. Because we don't receive other funding, we're fueled through the generosity of people as they are serving God and just uh, recognizing and using their resources to help people know God, love people, and impact the city. They're also active in serving. Our members all serve in the church community, especially when we are open to in-person gatherings and. And, and they also pray for the church and they pray for the staff. And then if you're an attender here, even you share in a responsibility for this church and we sh- you share a supportive weight. And what that means is if you're an attender of this church, you know, you're supporting like this Love Army initiative we're all a part of. You're rolling up your sleeves. That's it. I'm going to get behind these things I'm, because all of these things are designed to grow me deeper into the person of Jesus Christ. So we're in this together. We're in this together. The amazing thing is when we settle settle the ownership and responsibility issue, it does something incredible. It unifies us, it creates less division, And what it does is it superpowers our prayers. You're going to learn next week from Pastor Keith about how that can look when we pray in agreement one with the other. It superpowers our times of worship and connecting to God, and it superpowers our mission to help people know God, love people, and impact the city. So today, what I want to focus on is who do you show up for? Who do you show up for? when you come to church, when you come and gather, when you're part of this community, who do you actually show up for in community? uh, An easy way to answer this question is to back up the train and ask ourselves, why does the church even exist? Well, our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. And every one of us since them have. And because of that, things haven't gone as well as they could have. Had they not sinned, Things were, all would have been well. Every day, we would become better and better versions of ourselves. We would know a loving relationship connected to God, to each other, and with God's creation. We would move. We would be abounding and flourishing in the fruit of the Spirit as outlined in Galatians chapter 5, 22, and 23. We would, that would be a part of our life. But sadly, the Bible only records two chapters at its beginning and two chapters at its end where we see God's creation flourishing and operating the way it was intended. In Genesis chapter 3, that's dramatically interrupted when sin enters the picture and paradise is broken. And the rest of scripture outlines how evil spreads into God's creation and breaks the creative rhythms that God intended for all of us to know in his creation to operate and then it chronicles God's efforts of salvation to restore that. To, to, so we have an opportunity as a church community. It's our calling to work with God, to be rede- part of rede- his redemption of his creation. That means getting back everything that's been taken. That means setting all things right again. And God calls us to do that. Central to God's redemptive plan is Jesus. Jesus. The incarnation, his incarnation, his public ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and his second coming all are a part of God's great redemption plan. It's all rooted in the person of Jesus. And that's why from the very the first confession of the church, from the very first start of the inception of the church was simply this: Jesus is Lord. Can you say that out loud with me? Jesus is Lord. Now, Lord is a term we don't use that often in our modern vernacular, but it's kind of an older term that means basically ruler or king over everything. It's a reminder of who owns everything and who's in charge. Jesus is Lord. And the first century church developed a devotion narrative. And in the Latin, it's simply this, imiteo Christi, which means the imitation of Christ. The goal was, for anyone who's a follower of Jesus, is to imitate who Jesus was. Now, in our modern day, it's taken on a bit of a different approach, maybe even, I would say, even a lesser approach. We've reduced this idea of imitation of Christ to asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? And that that was a popular question. That can be still a decent question, but it doesn't quite go far enough. Because the fact is, um, not all of us will do what Jesus did. You know, Jesus never got married. I got married. I didn't do what Jesus did. I, well, I, I, that's, that's not what it was meant to be. But if you guide it by just this one question, this is why a lot of uh, church history and doctrine gets forced into, like if you're a minister, you shouldn't be married kind of thing. Uh, what, what about your career path? Jesus, Jesus left carpentry to pursue ministry. And ever since then, it kind of devalued the career paths and the callings that every one of us has on our lives. It just looks very different. Uh, we don't, you don't need to leave your career path, even though Jesus did. We're not always doing everything that Jesus did. Actually, Dr. John Stackhouse, he's a great Canadian theologian, uh, love his books and writing. He said this, I think he posed a better question, I think. He said, maybe the better question would be, what would Jesus want me or us to do here and now? What a great question for you at work, at school, at home, with your community or around you. What would Jesus want me or us as a church? And this is a prayer that we have as elders and staff and deacon team or us as a church to do here and now. That's the question we want to try to answer. What does Jesus want from us here and now? So to answer the question, who do you show up for? We need to look to the owner for the answer to that, as well as the first custodial operators, (laughs) those first Christians. So in Acts chapter two, we see actually the birth of this church, the birth of a radical community called the church in Acts chapter two, formed in the upper room in Jerusalem. It gets its start and built and constructed by Jesus' spirit. And the first sermon ever preached in the church, guess, who, guess what it was about? The first sermon was about Jesus. He's first. And that speaks to the fact that we show up for Jesus. You're here today. You might think you showed up because your mom is sitting next to you and wants you here, or because your dad said you got to be here, or maybe you're here because tradition says maybe. No, 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 no. We're here. You're here. We show up for Jesus first. We show up for Jesus first. He's our cornerstone. He's our focus. He's our foundation, as we sung about earlier. If we don't get this straight, we'll be like someone who comes to a birthday party and they're not looking at the person that is being celebrated that day. All they can see is the cake, the food, the party favors. And if we're not careful, we lose the central focus of the birthday party. Central focus is Jesus. It's not all the peripheral things that we add that are make up that. The party favors, the cake, the food, should all point to the person that we're celebrating. Sadly, Many of us and many people confuse this when it comes to the church. I think many of us make the church out to be about something that we're, we're not getting out of this, or what, what are we getting out of this? We make it about the party favors that we head home with. Or we'll make the church about something, we'll reduce it down to a weekend gathering that was just about this gathering. And then we hinge everything on every weekend gathering as opposed to building into the life of the church and being a part of it. For many of us, we can shrink the church down to some sort of political agenda or some sort of social justice agenda. And you're missing the point of what the church is about. Jesus is our focus. Now, if you lose focus of why we're here, this is how we create critics and consumers. Critics and consumers have the same base. What, what, what do they critique? Things that don't fit with their preferences. What, what do they consume? Things that fit with their preferences. We become something that maybe we shouldn't be. That's not what the church is about. We're, the church is about showing up for Jesus. Something incredible happens when you show up for Jesus. When you show up for Jesus, it doesn't matter if the food is not to your taste buds on this occasion. It doesn't matter if you don't like the cake because you didn't show up for the food, you came for a person. You didn't come for the food, you came for a person. When, when you show up for Jesus, you know when you feel slighted on occasion or you just feel like, oh, I, I don't feel heard or listened to or whatever it might be, you, it, it's not overly consuming for you, why? Because you didn't show up for what you get, you showed up for who you get, who you get. When you show up for Jesus, that's when you can really begin to ask, what would Jesus want me or us to do right here and now? Friends, we show up for Jesus and something amazing happens when we put Jesus first. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek the kingdom of God, what Jesus wants and wills. Seek him, put him first in your life above all else. Is he first in your life, friends? Is he above everything in your life? And live righteously. And that word righteously obviously doesn't mean perfection because you and I can't do that. But righteously, righteousness means to right standing with God. So keep your relationship fresh with God. When you sin, come to him and ask forgiveness. Stay in right standing with God. And then he will give you everything you need. What incredible confidence by putting Jesus first in our life. Now, it's so easy in the church to get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted because uh, pastors fail, leaders fail, uh, people that maybe have been a part of the church fail. We, we, We all do in some ways, and it's easy to get distracted. Don't let the failings of others cause you to lose focus in the person of Jesus. I love what Dr. Tim Keller says. He says this, Jesus is the only person, only person who upon closer inspection exceeds our expectations. Exceeds our, you know, Jesus is the reason why I'm serving God today. It's because I couldn't get over the person of Jesus. So loving, the way he included, the way he forgave, how patient he was. I mean, amazing, his teaching, so profound, so different from what I see and experience in the world that I cut across the swatch of it, and I just couldn't get over the person. The more I explored the person of Jesus, the more he exceeded my expectations. And that's my prayer for you. We show up for Jesus, number one. And number two, we show up for each other. We show up for each other. In that same chapter, and I encourage you this week to read Acts chapter two and three, the, kind of the birth of the, of the church. He sa- it says this though, that all of the believers lived in wonderful harmony. There's unity is a massive part of a healthy church. And a unity doesn't mean that we always agree on things. We, we are often going to disagree. You can't be as diverse as one church to with 70-some-odd nationalities and five generations, and we all come from different life experiences and backgrounds, and we all have different preferences and taste buds and everything else. Of course, we're not always going to agree, but harmony exceeds aligning with all of the preferences and taste buds. Harmony means that like, I'm choosing to believe the best, even when I don't agree. And we're looking for what God wants more than what we want. So all of the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. I want you to see this. This is incredible. But they sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that, say it with me, each person's needs was met. Man, when we all as a community change our perspective, even on gatherings and everything, we're not here so much to get. We're here for who we get the person of Jesus, and then we show up for each other, well, everyone's needs begins to get met in those moments. The church is this radical community, this radical community of healing, forgiveness, and redemption. It's a place where we share our lives with each other. That's hard. You know, I'm I'm a public figure in that I share my life with you but I'm such a private individual that it, it costs me to do that. And you'll notice that in community, whether it's in our community groups or Alpha or however you do life with us, it always costs us a little bit to share our lives with others, but there's a beauty in it. I can see it in the chat room often in our weekend gatherings. When somebody has a need, they put it in there, and I watch people pray for them and encourage them. What is that? That's That's being there for each other. It's sharing one another's burdens. We're carrying each other. I know people in the church community who've helped others with their career paths in life. I know people in the church community help people find jobs when they need it. What are they doing? They're sharing one another's burdens. They're showing up for each other. We show up for Jesus. We show up for each other. The last week in this um, series, we're gonna talk about who is the church for? And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, it has a lot to do with our Love Army Challenge. You know, it has a lot to do with our city and community and I hope all of us are going to participate in our Love Army challenge this month. I hope you're all going to fill a bag as Pastor Jessica and drop it off at our church if you live in Toronto. If you don't live in Toronto, make sure you you do it wherever you live locally that you get you know, take those gently used clean items and and send them out and la- and bless somebody else with them. Be a part of of somebody else's better tomorrow. Well, this is partly why we gather as a church community. But who do you show up for? If you don't get that right, we won't do this right. Who do you show up for? We show up for Jesus and we show up for each other. What, why before we show up for others outside the church? Why do we do those two things? Because charity begins at home. You ever hear that? saying it's, you know, there's debate over where it came from. Uh, In 13, I think 42, John Wycliffe said something like that. And then in 1642, Thomas Brown did. And he said this, but how shall we expect charity towards others when we are uncharitable to ourselves? Charity begins at home. But I don't think John Wycliffe or or Thomas Brown are the source of it. I think if you go back further, the Apostle Paul said this to a church in Galatia. He said this, every time we gather, we get the chance. Let us work for the benefit of all. I love that. So we're to work for the benefit of the entire city, the world, our global missions thing. We're to work for the benefit of all, starting with, though, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. It starts right here. Now, why should it start right here? Why does it start with the community of faith and those that we gather with? Well, the distinguishing mark of a Christian is not a crucifix around their neck or a cross hanging in their home. It's not a bumper sticker with the, the, the fish on it. It's, it's not somehow a, a, a dove. Those are not the distinguishing marks of a Christian. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is love. Does your lifestyle speak of love so much that people know you're a follower of Jesus? Love is what distinguishes us from from others. It's what fuels us. It's why we're there for each other. Love is what does that. Jesus said it this way. He gave us a new command. He said, let me give you a new command. Love one another. Love one another. And he's talking in community, church community. Love one another. How? How? In the same way I love you, love one another. Think about that. That means that in the same way Jesus is patient with you, be patient with one another. In the same way Jesus has forgiven you, forgive one another. In the same way that Jesus is not holding something against you, well, let go of it with one another. In the same way that God redeems and restores you. And even as it says in Philippians, Paul says, considering one another before yourself. So putting others first. So love one another. And then he goes on to say, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. You see, if we get showing up for Jesus and each other first, The world around us will see our love for one another. And when they see the love you have for each other, they're going to know that you are a follower of Jesus, that something has marked your life forever. The earliest Christians live like a single family unit. And if you came to my home, we don't go around the home labeling everything, like that's my chair, this is my table, that's my bread, this is my milk. No, it's ours because there's a commonality that we experienced. in the first century church was like that. There was a commonality about it. It's like if you were the breadwinner in your family, it's not your money, it's, it's our money. It's for the household. That's how God designed the church to work. We work together. We're generous first with each other, and then we're generous with our city and community around us. Friends, this is a Jesus church increasingly we want to act like and look like Jesus. We want to imitate Jesus, the imitation of Christ. That's what we want to do. And one of the ways we do that is we show up for Jesus and we show up for each other. And when we do this, this impacts our witness. The Holy Spirit inhabits that and it superpowers our times together and our moments together, and it fuels our mission forward. Remember, friends, we're not just called to do Jesus' work, we're called to extend his work. Do you remember in John chapter 14 when he said to his followers, listen, I'm about to go and you're gonna do even greater things. We need to take that seriously. You and I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us if you're a follower of Jesus. And it's to fuel us to be a part of God's great redemption plan for all of his creation. Who do we show up for? Well, we show up for Jesus first. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Not a person, not an individual. We come for him. And secondly, we come for each other. What a difference that will make if we keep that clear in 2022. Let me pray with you. Well, Father, thank you, God, for this church community. I thank you for One Church to all. God, you have, you've crafted this church, you know this church, and we're part of the larger church, the, the global church, God, where people around the world are raising hands to you in worship today and honoring the centrality of Jesus. So we join our voices with those first century Christians and we confess, and can you say it out loud with me, friends? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And in 2022, We give you everything, God. We're reminded that we have no ownership rights, but we have custodial responsibilities. And as we embrace those responsibilities, that's where we find joy in this life, peace and confidence. We know ultimately you're the one that will carry us and you're the one that builds your church. So Jesus, build this church in a way. And God, as each person, we are living stones in this church. We make up this church. Help us all to share in the responsibility. Help us, God, to to love each other really well. Help us to always show up for you first and show up for others second. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.